Welcome to Unfolding Words. This is episode number 82, Good Grief, Genealogies. My name is Antracia Moorings, and welcome to my weekly podcast, where I share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Welcome back this week. We are making our way through the book of Genesis. This week, we are in chapter five, and I hope you are enjoying the study. The feedback I'm getting is very good. So thank you so much for those of you who are diving in. Even those of you who say you are behind, you're not behind. If you're doing it at your own pace and you're still on chapter three, that's okay. Just work your way through as you see fit. And if you are enjoying this podcast, as well as the study, I would love if you could do me a favor and tell one person. You can share the podcast with a friend, email someone a link to listen, tweet your favorite episode, share it on your Facebook page or screenshot it to your Instagram stories or your Instagram page. That would help me a lot in spreading the word about the podcast and the study. So my hope with this Bible study is that it would help you to read deeper and to look more closely at the scriptures. I know many people have read Genesis dozens of times, and you can read these stories going in thinking, I already know what's happening. I don't need to go slowly. But even if you've read this dozens of times, you can still learn something new. So it's my hope that I'm helping you to walk more slowly through these scriptures and to look more closely and to hear what thus saith the Lord. So this week, it's all about genealogies. And instead of skipping over this list of names, as I know a lot of people do, I want you to take the time to carefully take in all the names and to glean details that will aid in your better understanding of the book overall. So this week, we're going to uncover some gems in this genealogy list. It can be really easy to ignore these lists or consider them to just be like transitions in the narrative. But these lists are just as important as the narratives. And the author of Genesis has a specific reason for including the list. The men who are named in the list have a role in shaping the context of the narrative and giving life to God's promise of his preservation of the promised seed, which points to the coming Messiah. So chapter five starts with a perspective change that is characteristic of Moses's writing. Moses is considered the author of Genesis. So he moves from a zoom in view to a broader view for this chapter. And if you look at the book of Genesis, it covers vast amount of history. The whole book of Genesis covers at least 2300 years from creation to Joseph, which is the end of Genesis. So we're looking at big chunks of history in this book. And one thing to know about these lists is that we can't know for sure if each generation named is the next generation or if generations are skipped. A lot of ancient Near Eastern king lists leave out a lot of generations between a king and his ancestor, with the next king listed being identified as a son of the previous king in the list, even though it may have been a century or more that has passed between their reigns. So an example is that in one list of Sumerian kings, at least 70 generations are left out. So we do want to keep that in mind that this is not an exhaustive list, but instead it may cover big chunks of history, leaving out a number of generations. These genealogies serve a number of purposes. 
So there are broad genealogies that present only the first generation of descendants. We see that in Genesis chapters 35 and 25, where it says the sons of Leah and the sons of Rachel. So we just get that first next generation. And then there are deep genealogy lists, which have sequential descendants, like in Genesis, usually numbering from two to ten. These are the 10 generations from Adam through Seth to Noah. And then in the 11th generation, the genealogy becomes segmented. And then there are linear genealogies, which display only a depth. An example is Cain gave birth to Enoch and Enoch gave birth to Irad. That's an example of a linear genealogy. And then finally, we have segmented genealogies, which show us both depth and breadth. An example is, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we get a width of generations with the brothers, and then going down, we get their generations from each son. The broad, the deep, the linear, and the segmented genealogies help to explain the various functions of these lists. So in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 32, Two, we see a list of 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And then the 10 generations from Noah's son Shem to Abraham will happen in the book of Genesis chapter 11. And these lists may be purposely organized to equal the number 10, which is the number of perfection of order. We saw earlier the generations of the heavens and earth. And so Genesis 5 outlines Adam's descendants. It says, on the day that God created Adam, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and gave them the name man, and they were created. So Genesis 4 through the beginning of chapter 5 is a short intro to the genealogy of Seth. And his role is to connect the creation of Adam and Eve in the image and likeness of God to Adam's descendants through Seth. Chapter 5 begins... This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So the word book in five and one is the Hebrew word sefer, which means a writing, a document, a book, or a scroll. This is the written record of Adam's lineage, his toledoth, which is the Hebrew word. And the author wants you to know that this is not a myth. This is not made up stuff. This is a record of actual history. And the purpose of this genealogy is to show the development of the human race from Adam to Noah. And it bridges the gap in time between these two major figures in the book of Genesis. These genealogy lists also prove God's word because folks surely did die in direct contrast to the serpent's words that you shall not surely die. And it also provides a contrast to the progress of the godly line of Seth which culminated in Enoch, who walked with God and experienced translation with the development of the ungodly line of Cain. So Cain's branch of the human race culminated in Lamech, who was an example of ungodliness. Notice that the genealogical list that begins in chapter 5, verse 3, establishes a repeated pattern. You're going to see the name of the father, the name of his son and his age when the son was born, the number of years the father lived after the birth of his son, other sons and daughters that were born, and then finally the father's age when he died. And there's also an ironic pattern that emerges. 
Each generation of humanity inherits both life and death, even though the original judgment ended in death in Genesis chapter three. God's original blessing of fertility continues to sustain life on earth and his breath or his spirit is passed from generation to generation and every person is born in his image, but no longer in his likeness. So here's the difference between Adam being made in the likeness of God and Seth being made in the image of Adam. God's fathering was perfect. Man's fathering is contaminated by sin. That's the first big difference. As a result, man will be imperfect, resulting in death for every single descendant. And notice the contrast between the rejected lineage of Cain and Seth's righteous generation. There are similar names, but different fates. And there's a continuation of God's emphasis on separation of light and dark, which started with creation in Genesis 1. This is a theme that we're going to continually see throughout the book of Genesis and actually throughout all of scripture. Man is no longer created in the image of God. Likeness means there's a pattern of sin has changed this template. Death is repeated eight times in Genesis 5. Death is a sure thing. That's something that we see. So Genesis begins with the process of identifying the seed that will rule the earth and crush the serpent's head. And this second part of Genesis, beginning with chapter five, traces that lineage from Adam to Noah. And the seed comes through Seth, who is the appointed one. That's what his name means. He is the seed that continues in the promise of Genesis chapter three and 15. And he is the first man to establish worship in addition to sacrifice outside of the garden, calling in prayer on the name of Yahweh. And then at the end of Seth's family tree, we see Noah, a righteous man who finds favor in God's eyes. The man who we come like a new Adam after the world is cleansed in the flood. And despite what it looks like, history belongs to the line of Seth, not to those innovators of the line of Cain. So we we see Cain's descendants doing great things, creating music and innovations with tools and metal and iron, but that's not going to be what makes them righteous. Notice that Genesis lists none of the ages for Cain's descendants, but we know the lifespans of all of Seth's seed. The chronology of Genesis doesn't follow the generation of Cain. Time, history, and the past, and the future belong instead to the children of the younger son. The human race multiplies and continues to die over and over. But here, smack dab in the middle of this downward spiral of sin and death, there is hope. Isn't that just like God to provide hope in the middle of what looks like despair? And then we see this unique phrase, walked with God, which is found in verse 22 of the genealogy. And it's only found four other times in scripture where it's applied to Enoch, Noah, and the covenant of peace for a never-ending priesthood that God establishes with Aaron's grandson, the priest Phineas. We see this in the book of Numbers. So in Genesis 5 and 22, we see that Enoch walked with God. And then Enoch walked with God, then was no more because God took him. And then we'll see in the next chapter that this is Noah's story as well. Noah was a good man, an upright man, among all those he lived amongst, and he walked with God. So this phrase, walking with God, 
means more than just a closeness to God. It paints the picture of a deeply intimate relationship that is more divine than earthly. This is the way that Adam and Eve walked with God before the fall. There was this intimacy, this divinity in the relationship. And Enoch was a man of righteousness who had this intimate relationship with God that was similar to the relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed when they walked with God in the garden's sanctuary. But Enoch was spared the suffering of death and he was transferred instantly. And this is not to say that Enoch went immediately into heaven to live in God's presence, only that God spared him from that curse of suffering in physical death. And one really cool thing is that Enoch is listed in Jesus's genealogy in Luke 3 and 37. This is why you shouldn't skip them because you find some wonderful gems. And Jude includes that Enoch was the seventh patriarch from Adam in Jude 14. And it's interesting that scripture records that he lived 365 years, the number of days in a solar year for us. It's a number that may symbolize that he walked with God every day of the year for his entire life. Wouldn't you love to have that testimony? Elijah the prophet is the only other man who was taken up in the same manner as Enoch. And even though the theme of death is a motif that's repeated in this chapter, we see God's grace. We see this in the reference to life and fertility because there are many sons and daughters born. And imagine how many children could be had when you live for 900 years. Enoch's translation and walking with God is a blessing. So you can enjoy God's blessings when you walk with God. Enoch is an example of one who found life even under the curse of death. That's the same for us. We can find life even though the curse of death still exists. So in Enoch's life, Moses is able to show that the pronouncement of death is not the last word that needs to be said about a person's life. You can find life if you walk with God. And walk with God is a metaphor, and it shows that Enoch had a lifestyle that was marked by his devotion to God. The sense of this word walk, which is halak in Hebrew, indicates a communion and a continual intimacy with God. So in the midst of this long line of people who died, hope enters the scene in the form of Enoch. So Enoch's life was a testament of sorts of the coming judgment, which was the flood, and protection. And his son's name was a prophetic message of warning. So interesting that Enoch lived for 65 years and then he fathered Methuselah. Now, Methuselah is the longest living man in the Bible and he died in the year that the flood came. And his name means when he dies, it shall be sent. So Enoch was a prophet of sorts if he had a hand in naming Methuselah. And it's ironic that he lived the longest, but his name referenced death. And also interesting is that none of the men in the line of the coming Messiah dies in the flood. They all die naturally prior to the flood, or they are raptured or taken away like Enoch or rescued, which happened to Noah. And this is a picture of what happens in Second Peter chapter 3, where it says the righteous will be rescued. So the finality of death, which is caused by sin and is demonstrated in the genealogy of Genesis, is not 
as final as it seems. Man was not born to die. That's not why God created mankind for him to be born, live a few years and then die. He was born to live and that life comes by walking with God continually, just like Enoch. Walking with God is the key to getting rid of the curse of death. And Enoch was an example of a righteous faith. He gives us all hope that we can find life with God in the middle of the curse of death when we walk with God. Physical death is not the end of our story. It's only the beginning. So while Enoch was taken up, we see that something else important happens in this genealogy list. Another Lamech comes on the scene in verse number 26. And notice that Lamech doesn't just father Noah. He gives him a name that prophesies the rest to come. Noah is the one who will offer rest from the continual sin that is plaguing the cursed soil. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. That's what's said of Noah at his birth. In verse number 30 says, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. The number seven was associated with the first Lamech. Remember him? He wanted to kill a man for wounding him. The number seven was first associated with that unrighteous Lamech. And here we see the number again, but it's pointing to a perfection of righteousness instead of a perfection of sin, which we found in the first Lamech. So like I said, both Noah and Enoch walk with God. And the information on Noah in this list only names his sons. Noah's death in this list isn't mentioned, only his age when he fathered his sons is recorded. Neither of the accounts of Enoch or Noah ends in death. Noah's death won't be recorded until after the flood narrative in Genesis chapter 9 and in the same pattern as Seth's genealogy. So in all, we will see that Noah's life lasted for 950 years. Then he died. And the hope for all is that even though he was surrounded in a world that was filled with sin, both Noah and Enoch were righteous men who walked with God. And another fun fact to take note of, Methuselah lived the longest of the 10 pre-flood patriarchs. His life overlapped the life of Adam by 243 years and overlapped the life of Noah's son Shem by 98 years. So imagine the stories that Methuselah could tell. So Methuselah provides a living link of sorts between the events of Adam and Eve that they experience in Eden and in their exile and the generation of the post-flood world through the memories and stories he shared with Shem. Methuselah died the year of the great flood. Also look at the names of the Cain genealogy and those of the Seth genealogy. Some of the names are the same or very similar in both of these lists. Methuselah in Seth's genealogy is very similar to Methushael in Cain's. And the names Enoch and Lamech are found in both lists as well. So we count this to the fact that certain names are popular in different generations. So we look at today, there are popular names. You look back 40 years and those names are all similar. You see a similar 
thread of names that may not exist today. So it's the same today as it was in ancient times. Some names remain popular for a number of generations before they die out and a new list of names pops up. So there were 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And this is important because the line of the promised seed, that covenant line comes from Seth. So Cain built for his son. We see that he was unrighteous and he had no regard for God, but Seth built into his son. Note that distinction, how and where they built. And I want to look at Psalm 127 because it fits in perfectly with this chapter since it's all about building a strong foundation for families. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who, filled his, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So unless God is watching over you, building your house, which is your family, you're laboring in vain, which we see with Cain. He built all of this up. And what was the end of it? We don't know because it wasn't recorded because it was unrighteousness before God. But we see that Seth's line was built up. He built into his family. So God built it up because God was the one who watched over it. So all of these verses speak truth to the godly line that God is establishing. So the question for us today is, whose genealogy are we found in? Are we found in Adam's or are we found in Jesus's? And the difference is, what are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are you building up for yourself, building a name for yourself, building success and accomplishments for yourself? Or are you allowing God to build your city? And are you establishing your foundation on Jesus? Only you know the answer to that. So that's it for Genesis chapter five. A quick look at the genealogy lists. And remember, you can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions, I will be sure to answer those for you. You can follow me on Twitter at unfolding underscore words, Facebook and Instagram at unfolding words. So I will see you back here next week. We're going to dive into chapter six, starting to take a look at the life of Noah. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.